So to practice means two things. It means to live something out and to learn it along the way. To practice is to live and to learn. So if you're a practicing attorney, it means that you are living out the vocation of being a lawyer. You're, you're representing clients, you're working on cases, um, you are uh, staying up to date on the latest laws, but you're also, as you go, you are perfecting your craft, you're growing in your skills, you are living it out, and you're learning. If you have children, you are a practicing parent. You are living and serving as their mother and their father, but along the way, each day, you are growing and getting better at what it means to be a parent. At least that's the goal, right? And you see this in the distinction between how we operate with our first child and then how we operate with our third child. When you have that first child, they hand you this kid with no instructions whatsoever. You have no idea what you're doing, and, and yet you are at that moment 100% their parent, you, yet you have 0% experience, right? And so you are incredibly cautious and careful, and you have everyone wash their hands before they touch the baby. You are worried about every little whimper. And then the third child or the fourth child comes along, and you have practiced parenting a lot longer, and you've learned some things along the way. You have learned that dirt don't hurt, cries won't kill, and the iPad is your best friend. <laughs> to practice something is to both live it out and to learn it along the way. The same is true with the Christian faith. Uh, today we're starting a new teaching series called Practicing Christian. And, and really the point of it is this. Uh, there are certain things that we are called to do from day one of following Jesus. Certain things that we are called to live out as, as a follower of Jesus. What it means to be a practicing Christian. Uh, but, but being a follower of Jesus is something we, we never quite master. We are constantly learning. We are constantly practicing and also growing in it. We are living it out and we are learning it along the way. And what we're going to take a look at in this series are, are six practices and habits of the heart that, that followers of Jesus have embraced since the very beginning of Christianity, that, that the scriptures and Jesus himself has told us are essential to both being and then growing as a Christian. And my encouragement for you is to be really engaged in this process, because we're going to talk about some very important and very practical things if you are here as a follower of Jesus. And to help you with that, on your way in, you should have received or grabbed one of these. Uh, we're providing you with a notebook and pen, so now you have absolutely no excuse not to be engaged in what's going on in today's sermon and throughout this series. And, and the reason we're doing this is because I, I really feel strongly about the need for us to dive in at the start of a new year and focus on the essentials of what it means to be practicing, both living and learning our faith. And today, we're going to talk about something that, that Jesus, Jesus arguably thinks is the most important aspect of being a, a practicing Christian. It's something that he must have mentioned a bunch of times because it's one of the few things that is mentioned in all four of the Gospels. Uh, for Jesus, a life of practicing Christianity begins and consists daily of this one thing. Surrender. Surrender. In fact, that's probably the first thing I'd have you write down in your brand new notebook. <laughs> life as a practicing Christian is a life of learning daily to surrender. A life of learning daily to surrender. Now, here's, here's what I'll tell you about myself. 
moment of honesty. Uh, I, I'm not a big fan of that word. I'm not a big fan of the word surrender. Surrender is weak. To surrender is to lose. When I think Matt Popovitz, I don't think surrender. That's not me. You could argue that's not even American. You know what word I, I would rather use? The word I'd rather use is commitment. I like the word commitment. I would rather that Jesus said, those who are going to follow after me have to commit to try their best and do their best all the days of their life. I'm all about commitment. In fact, this time of year is all about commitment, isn't it? I mean, this time of year, we are, we are resolving to do certain things. And if you haven't broken all your resolutions, you're still committed to those resolutions. You've committed to going to the gym two or three times a week. You've committed to reading a certain number of books in 2020. You've committed to spending a little less or being in church a little more. Thank you for that one, by the way. And one of the reasons I think that we, we prefer commitment is this. Because commitment allows us to retain control. The emphasis in personal commitment is still on control. It puts the outcome in my hands. It places the emphasis on my ability. It keeps my hands on the steering wheel, which, if we're honest, is where we like them as human beings. We prefer commitment to surrender. Uh, the story is told about how in the late 1950s and early 1960s, the sales of cake mix in the United States started to take a dive. And the people at, at Pillsbury and Duncan Hines were very concerned. And they wondered, why is it that we're selling less and less cake mix? And one entrepreneurial marketer had an idea, and he said, maybe it's because it's too easy. See, most of the cake mix that was sold at the time in the U.S. was, was of the instant variety. All you did was add water. All you did was add water. And this marketer said, perhaps it's too easy. Americans love commitment. And so one of the companies reformulated their cake mix so that you added water and just one, just one egg. Because the American housewife and the American baker, they wanted to feel as though they had more to do with the success of that cake. They wanted to feel as though they retained some control over the outcome. So they had to crack an egg. And guess what? Sales went back up. But surrender and commitment are not the same thing. Surrender and commitment are not the same thing. Jesus does not want your commitment. He commands your surrender. He wants you to take your hands off of your life and allow him to lead it wherever he wants to go. Sounds great, right? Sign me up. <laughs> now, it does come with a couple of promises, which we'll get to in a bit. First, we need to dig into what it means to surrender. What does Jesus mean when he's talking about this? And, and that's where today's text comes in from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. Because we say Jesus is all about surrender in a life of following him, that a life of practicing Christianity begins and consists daily of surrender. But Jesus actually, in these verses that you find in all four of the Gospels, he uses three words that we summarize with that word. In particular, Jesus uses three imperative verbs to talk about surrender. Let me read this again to you. Matthew chapter 16, starting at verse 25. Is it on the screen? There it is. Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
And I want to just kind of highlight the verbs here. Imperative verbs are commands, like go, stop, or wrap it up, preacher. And, and these are the imperative words, verbs that Jesus used. Deny, take up, or, or lift, and follow. And I would suggest you jot those three things down, because this is where we get the idea of surrender. It's about denial, and lifting up, or taking up, and following. Denial, lifting, and following. And we'll start with that first one. A life of learning to follow Jesus is a life of learning first to deny yourself. Now, this is a command that has been ripe for misinterpretation over the years. In the history of Christianity, people have thought that denying yourself somehow meant punishing yourself. And so over the years, there have been followers of Jesus who've said that any kind, of, any kind of joy, any kind of pleasure must be bad because we're supposed to deny ourself. And so they, they outlawed any kind of fun. You couldn't dance, you couldn't drink, which made Kevin Bacon and Footloose very, very angry. And there were some who even took it so far as to say in order to deny you, yourself, you must harm yourself because the pain that you would feel... This was, this was popularized in the, uh, in the Middle Ages. The pain you feel would draw you closer to Christ. So there were some who thought that denying yourself meant depriving yourself of pleasure or even causing yourself pain. And there are some who believe that in order to deny yourself and to take seriously this call to surrender, you must think lowly of yourself. That you can't really take pride in your work, that you can't really try to accomplish a goal and celebrate it when you arrive that you can't like too much what you see in the mirror when you look at yourself, that in order to enjoy your life, in order to take pride in your work or to like yourself, you have to reject Jesus' call of denying yourself. But, but none of that is true. The call to surrender and denial of self is not about a lack of pleasure or, or embracing pain. Here's what it comes down to. It comes down to priority. Denial of self is, is really about priority, and, and here's what I would write down. To surrender, to deny myself, is to prioritize the will of God. It is to prioritize the will of God. Every single person, whether you're a, a person of faith or not, every single person starts their day with a particular prayer. Did you know that? Whether you're a, an atheist or a Christian or something in between, every single person starts their day with one of two prayers. Everybody begins their day whispering to themselves or wishing for themselves one of two things. Either my will be done or thy will be done. Everybody starts their day with one of two prayers. My will or thy will. Followers of Jesus are called to be thy will kinds of people. What it means is that we want God's plans and priorities to take precedent over our life and for our lives to exist to show his glory. We want his will to win out. Now, if you're paying attention to the world that we live in today, you, you can instantly recognize that, that that idea, God's will and God's priority over my will, is, is, is countercultural to the world that we live in, at the very least. Because at every turn, you and I are told the exact opposite. At every turn, you and I are told that, that we, should, we should carve our own path, that we should prioritize and pursue our own joy as we define it, 
that we should define our happiness and pursue our happiness and we should sacrifice our plans in our pursuit of our own joy for no person. And there's something inside of us that loves that. But Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh, we're not about that. You must deny yourself. Because after all, you are a practicing Christian. So here's what it looks like in every moment, in every situation. You are asking a fundamentally different question when you sit down and you plan out your day in your brand new, fresh 2020 planner. Or when you sit down and you're making, you're making decisions about your retirement with your financial advisor. Or you are wishing and hoping and dreaming about what you want your children to become. Or you're having an important conversation with a coworker. In every single decision that you make, you're asking a fundamentally different question. You're not asking the question, what do I want? You're asking this question, what is God's will? In the big things and the small things, what is God's will? That's what it means to surrender and to deny yourself. It is a prioritization of the will of God. That's what it means. And I'll tell you right now that that God's will is not always going to be sunshine and rainbows and smile emojis for you. God is going to bless you in your life as you seek His will, as you try to listen to His word and walk in His ways, for sure. He will. But but God is going to walk you through struggle as a Christian as well. And then some of you can raise your hand and say, Amen, I have been through some struggle. And this is where the second imperative, the second command comes in. So under this umbrella of surrender, the first thing is, is about denying, denying yourself. The second is a life of lifting up and carrying your cross. Lifting up and carrying your cross. You know, for you and I, as as 21st century followers of Jesus, the cross understandably carries with it a lot of spiritual and positive uh, implications. But, but put yourself in the sandals of those first disciples when they hear Jesus saying this, you must take up your cross and follow me. They knew full well what the cross was, but for them it was simply, at this particular moment, it was simply a means of Roman execution for the worst of criminals. Jesus at this point had not yet gone to the cross and died for the sins of the world. He'd hinted at it, he'd talked a bit about it, but they didn't know what was in store. So when Jesus said, take up your cross, they, they thought rightly of the first century means of Roman execution for the worst of criminals. And they knew that when, when someone was crucified in Jerusalem that they were They were told to carry the cross beam of that cross on their shoulders, just as Jesus would eventually do, and walk through the streets of Jerusalem. And when I say walk, they weren't really walked. They were kind of dragged and whipped and beaten through the city out to the place where they were ultimately crucified, where they were then tacked upon a cross, and they suffered and suffocated until they died. That's what the disciples knew. And so Jesus says, take up your cross... And follow me. Jesus makes a metaphor of sorts out of the Roman form of execution. And here's what he's saying. Here's what he means. He means take up the hurt and the harms and the pains and the death that is part of this life and is especially part of following me. Take it up and don't deny it. Don't run from it. Don't avoid it because you can't completely anyway. Wrap your arms around it when it's inescapable and walk with it. And then believe, choose to believe, like the criminal being led down the roads of Jerusalem, that it is leading you towards something. There is purpose behind this. 
When Jesus says, take up your cross, what he means is this. Embrace the pain that is inherent to life. You don't have to seek it out, but you can't fully avoid it. Embrace it and believe that there is purpose within it. Embrace it and believe that there is purpose within it. If you are expecting the Christian faith to be some kind of of get-out-of-struggle-free card, you are sorely mistaken. Or if you think that following Jesus is some kind of essential element in a recipe that's going to guarantee you some success as the world defines success, you are barking up the wrong religious tree. Now, I don't blame you for wanting that or for assuming that even. You and I, we are are in many ways wired to pursue comfort. And and if you look at our lives, we, we leverage almost every resource we have as human beings to try and find and protect our comfort. We, we work out to protect ourselves from the pains of death. We, we, we work hard at our jobs to, to protect ourselves from failure and to pull ourselves out of a past of poverty, perhaps. We listen to podcasts on parenting to avoid the, the, to avoid the pain of having problematic children, right? And on one hand, all of that is good. All of that is fine. But eventually, pain will occur. Your kids may bring you shame. The spouse can die unexpectedly. The job gets lost unfairly. Eventually, a cross will present itself, and it will be sat next to you, the crossbar of this pain, and you you will have a choice. You can kind of run from it. You can deny it. Or, here's what followers of Jesus do. When it can't be avoided, and it just happens, and it's just there, they embrace it. They don't celebrate it. We don't take joy in it. That's not what I'm saying. But, but the cross happens in life. And you can shake your fist at God when, it, when it's revealed to you, or you can pretend it doesn't exist. You can run away from it and try to avoid it, but you're just going to trip over another one. The cross will happen to you. What followers of Jesus do is they don't shake their fist. They don't run away. They don't deny. They take it up. And they walk with it. And they believe that God is at work in it. Now, now the reason Christians can believe this, that we can take up our cross and that God is at work in our crosses, is because of Jesus' cross. His cross changes yours. The cross of Jesus Christ changes the crosses of mankind. You see, Jesus on on the cross, he he died for the sins of the world, and then he rose from the dead, and he freed us from from sin and death ourselves. But he also, in doing so, he, he made it possible, and he gave a promise for there to be purpose in your pains and in your crosses. See, what Jesus did is he brought beauty out of pain. He brought life out of death. And now, that is the shape of life in his world for those who follow him. There can be beauty out of our pain. There can be life out of our deaths. Jesus promises the same pattern of life for those who follow after him. The death of Jesus Christ and his suffering was used by God to display Jesus' obedience as a son. And it was used by God to advance his kingdom. And now the promise is that your cross is discipleship. Your suffering is kingdom work. 
that God will use your crosses that you are willing to embrace and walk with in faith. He will use them to mold and shape you into an obedient son and daughter. And he will also use them to advance the kingdom of God through you in ways you may never see or appreciate. You ever thought about it? Like, like why is it that the church throughout history, the capital C church, has thrived the most when it was most persecuted? That is a fact. The church growth strategy no one wants to talk about is suffering and persecution. Why is it that the, the men and women whose, whose faith and character you most admire have been through things in life that you pray you can avoid? Every one of them. It's because followers of Jesus, they embrace the cross and they walk with it and God keeps his promise to work in us and through us because of it. Take up your cross. And the third thing Jesus says is follow me. So surrender is a life of learning to ooh, deny yourself. Surrender is also a life of taking up your cross, but it's also a life of following me, Jesus says. Jesus says, follow me. Um, the life of surrender is learning to go wherever Jesus goes. A, a life of following a rabbi in the ancient world was an interesting one, to say the least. Uh, a rabbi had disciples, and the disciples followed after the rabbi wherever the rabbi went, like even to the bathroom. This is documented. <laughs> Wherever the rabbi goes, the disciples were trailing behind. And the thing about the rabbi is that the rabbi sets both the pace and the path. And so wherever the rabbi goes, fast, slow, wherever it leads, the disciples are like trailing right after the rabbi. And this is the part of this conversation that the disciples would have been most familiar with. Follow after me. They had already at this point been doing that for about two and a half years at least following after Jesus everywhere he went. So why would Jesus have to remind them that a life of surrender as a member of God's kingdom in his name was going to involve following the rabbi wherever the rabbi went? Here's why. Because Jesus was about to lead them to places that they did not want to go. And they needed the reminder. He was about to lead them to some very frightening places. And that's what Jesus is talking about. It's about following Jesus even when Jesus leads you to something scary. And Jesus was about to lead them to his own death and resurrection. And then after that, he was going to lead them into this mission of baptizing and evangelizing the entire world. And then, through his spirit, he was going to lead them to persecution and jail. And almost every one of the disciples he talked to in this moment, they were, they were martyred for the cause. That's where Jesus was going to lead them. He was going to lead them to places that were scary, but they were still required to step forward with him. And the same is true for you. Jesus will lead you to places that are scary to you. He will lead you to conversations that you know you need to have. He will lead you to invitations you know you need to extend. He will, he will call you towards generosity or sacrifice that you know he's all about and you really should be too. He's, he's going he's gonna to call you into that scary conversation with your brother-in-law or he's going to insist and he's going to step into forgiveness of your frenemy. And you're going to be like, no, this is frightening, but he's stepping into the scary thing and you must step 
with him. Because you are a practicing Christian. Now you might say, well, how do I, how do I know where Jesus is going? Is there like an app that I can download that like shows him on GPS? Here's how. If you're here as a baptized follower of Jesus, you, you, have been, you have been given his Holy Spirit and it stirs in you and convicts you. You know when that happens. And he's given you his word. You ever read a portion of scripture or sat in a sermon and you feel like, oh crap, they're talking to me? Or you had a conversation with someone who believes like you and is baptized and a follower of Jesus like you and you walk out of that conversation with this, with this clarity about what you should do. That is Jesus stepping forward, Jesus speaking, and your job is to step. I, I guarantee that if you and I sat down over lunch and we just did a quick inventory of your life right now today, a real honest inventory, we could find at least one spot one scary step that jesus is taking and he's calling you toward you know what it is but you're trying to avoid it i guarantee it because that's how he works what is that scary step of faithfully following jesus for you he is calling are you listening he is stepping are you following what is it surrender is denying yourself not my will but thy will. It is lifting up and carrying your cross, believing that God works through that pain, and it is also following Jesus into the scary things he asks you to do. That's what it means to be a practicing Christian with surrender. Now, all of this is really, really frightening. I get it. If you take this seriously, you're taking your hands off of your life and you're surrendering them to Jesus. But I told you at the beginning that there are promises for you in this. And the promises are twofold. He, he, He promises to form you in this and to give you freedom because of this. Now, it might seem counterintuitive that those who surrender their lives and every single day to Jesus are somehow free. But listen again to what Jesus says here. He says this, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul, or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus' point is this, you you are surrendering your life to something. It's not a matter of if, but to what. And, And most of us surrender our lives to things of this world. We surrender our life. We think we're going to find life, which is what Jesus is talking about, through work or through family or through fitness. And Jesus says, if that's what you wrap your worth and your well-being around, in the end, you will lose the very thing you're trying to find. You'll lose it. Because you're wrapping your whole life around something that in the end, either through a cross that you didn't expect or death on your last day, is going to be taken out of your hands. Because eventually, the kids won't call, or the job will get lost, or your metabolism will change. And if you've wrapped everything around one of those things, you've set yourself up for a deep existential crisis of the soul, where you've not only lost that thing, but you have lost yourself. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's what he's talking about. But you... You have not wrapped your worth or your identity around those things. You have wrapped your worth and your identity and your whole person around surrendering to Jesus. And so you have a freedom that the rest of the world doesn't have. Here's the freedom you have. You can say this, take my possessions. Take take my life. Take take my family. I I pray you don't. But, But if I lose 
all the earthly things, I will not lose myself. Because I have already surrendered to someone who's made me right with my maker, promises me joy in the future, and who says he will use even this pain for his purposes. So take whatever you want. I will not lose. That is a freedom that a world wrapped up in possessions and performance knows nothing of. Nothing. And he promises to change you. He gives you freedom and he promises to change you. There's this, there's this, this book written by C.S. C. S. Lewis. And um, in, in this one particular book, there's this character called Eustace. And Eustace is a young boy who gets changed into a dragon. Nerd moment. He gets changed into a dragon. But he wants to become a little boy again. In order to become a little boy, he has to go through this painful process where the dragon's skin is ripped from him over the course of time. And he becomes this boy that he was created to be. That is, for me, and a great analogy of the Christian life. You and I are born into this world and we are dragonized. We are covered with scales and deep, dark stuff. But God promises to change you through this life of surrender. It's not going to be easy, but he's going to rip the dragon skin from you and make you into the son, the daughter you were meant to be. He changes you through this. Surrender is a life of denying yourself. Not my will, but thy will. It is a life of taking your hands off the wheel. It is a life of saying, it is all about you, Jesus. Let me close with this. Billy Graham used to tell a story about a little boy whose hand was stuck into his mom's favorite vase. And his dad was trying very carefully to set him free. So the dad came up to the son and they, they twisted his arm and they pulled very gently and the arm just would not come out of the vase. And so the dad exasperated said, all right, son, we're going to try this one more time. One more time. Here's what I want you to do. Make sure that your, your hand is open and your fingers are straight and then we're going to pull gently one more time and see if it works. And the son looked at the dad wide-eyed and said, I, I can't. I can't do that. And the dad said, why? And the son said, well, if, if I open my hand, I will drop the penny. So the son opens his hand and he drops the penny and his hand is free. And he gets the penny too. Life as a practicing Christian is a life of learning to drop the penny. Letting go of the petty things that you hold on to for control and purpose in this life. Letting go of those things, of opening your hands and surrendering each and every day, of saying, it's not my will, I will follow wherever you lead, and I will embrace the pain that comes my way, knowing that there's purpose in it. Of opening your hand, letting it go, dropping the penny, and discovering that it sets you free. More next week. Let's pray.